Well, good morning. It's good to see you out on this 4th of July weekend. In fact, I want to take just the first couple minutes before we dive into God's Word to thank. Thank our law enforcement personnel. Thank our first responders, our firefighters. I want to thank our military and those that are serving abroad right now. Folks from our own church family that are assigned overseas in various places. Please join me in thanking all of these folks. I'm certainly grateful for our own security team here who work so diligently to make sure that we're safe here on the campus and that we can have activities like we had last night without any concern uh, for disruption. Well, if you would bow your head with me and let's continue our prayer for our nation. Father, today we come in the midst of significant turmoil in our country. We look out and we see a very small representation causing a whole lot of mess. And Father, they have caused us to pause, many of us unnecessarily. But Lord, you've allowed this, and so we pause and we recognize that all that's going on is an opportunity for us to return to you. It's an opportunity for us to return you to your rightful position in this nation. And so Father, we begin as you instructed in the Old Testament for your people to do, we we, Father, we admit our sin. We admit that we have removed you from our schools. We've removed you from our courthouses. Father, we have decided our own morality, and we've taken you out of these things. And, Lord, we admit that. We admit that we let it happen as the majority, as those who believe. And so, Father, today we ask your forgiveness, and we pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us, we pray, Lord, that your blessing would return to us, that, Father, if you choose, that you would come and you would lead again, that you would raise up leaders, that you would be with our president and vice president right now, that you would be with those who are in law enforcement and first responders, Father, in leadership roles. Father, may these men and women, may they submit to you and to your authority, and may you lead and guide them. And may we, Father, choose wisely who we follow. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I want you to turn with me in your Bible again this week to the first book, the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter 37 this week. And for those of you present, those of you joining us online, as we continue this series, The Journey to New Normal, we're looking at the baseline, the normal, that God desires for us to set for our life as a people and ultimately as a nation. Now this week we look at the journey of Joseph. Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham that we looked at last week. Joseph has this dream. And Joseph has, he experiences a lot of disappointment in life. Now each one of us in this room, we all have a dream of what life is going to be like. Don't we? At least from a young age we still believe it's okay to dream and to look ahead. Some of us dream of being married, others dream of going it alone, others dream of having children, and others would just as soon not. I was one of those guys for a long time, always saw kids as kids that came up and just put snot on your pants. That's all they were good for, right? They'd come up and wipe their nose on you. We dream of the job that we will have. We dream of having the resources and the things to enjoy in life. 
In fact, for most, that dream is what we would consider our picture of normal. But what happens when normal gets shaken up? What happens, as we're going to see in Joseph's life, when our dreams don't play out exactly as we had planned? Where is God in all of this? And is it possible? Is it possible that he allows these disruptions and disappointments for something bigger than we could have ever imagined? The Bible tells us many are the plans in a man's heart. But it's the Lord's what that prevails. It's the Lord's plan. It's the Lord's purpose that will always win the day. And this weekend, we look at the reality that God has a plan, even if we don't like it at the moment. And there are times that we don't like it. But his plan is one that we want to go with, no matter the disruptions that it takes to get our attention and to get us realigned with him. So in Genesis chapter 37, verse 1, we learn that Joseph is 17 when we're introduced to him. He's a young man, 17 years old. He's the son of Jacob. Now, Jacob is also known as Israel. It's just like Abram and Abraham. We're going to interchange those names today, but Jacob and Israel are the same person. Immediately in verse 3, we catch a glimpse of the normal that Joseph is born into. Now Israel, now Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Ten older brothers. Ten older brothers, and this dad favors the youngest. He gives him this amazing coat. We know it is the coat of many colors. Maybe you remember that from when you were young and heard it in Bible school. And by giving Joseph this coat, he is saying to the other brothers, Joseph is my favorite. Joseph's not going to work as hard as you boys do. When I'm done in life, Joseph, not the oldest, but Joseph is going to be the inheritor of my state. He's going to be telling you boys what to do. In verse 4, when his brothers, Joseph's brothers, saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they couldn't speak a kind word to him. Now, Joseph's home life, Joseph's normal, is pretty normal in today's world. His situation would be very familiar maybe to some of us in the room, certainly those watching online. Maybe you grew up in a home like Joseph where no one spoke a nice word. I'll tell you, that's the way it's been in my house the last couple of weeks. I don't know what's going on with these girls, but about every three days they come up with one or two nice words. But the rest of the time, it's, it's been pretty rough. His home was filled with negativity, bitter rivalry for attention. Joseph's normal included three stepmoms. Now, that's, that's not unheard of today, but three stepmoms under the same roof. Can you imagine? You think the reality shows today are crazy. Look at the Old Testament. In verse 5, we read that Joseph has this dream. And it's not just any dream, but it's a dream of his brothers, his family, bowing down to him. Now, if you ever have a dream like this, don't share it with your siblings. But Joseph does, and his brothers grew to hate him all the more. Now, all of these details matter. It may seem like a lot of information, but every detail of Joseph's story matters, and every detail of your life does too. So I want you to remember this word dream. In fact, you can circle it there in your Bibles if you want to. And I want you to think about your dreams. I want you to think about your normal as you consider it 
right now. Verse 19. One day Joseph's dad sends him out to the fields. Now the only reason why Joseph's dad sent him to the fields was to bring back a report, it says, on his older brothers. They see him coming, and in verse 19 they say, here comes that dreamer. Come now, let's kill him. Anybody ever think about killing their younger brother or sister? I tried a couple of times. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Now Judah, one of the older brothers, one of Leah's boys, speaks up in verse 26. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery to this group of gypsies. That way we won't technically be guilty of murder, but little brother will be as good as dead. And that's what they do. At the age of 17... Joseph is sold to this group of gypsies headed to Egypt. Once he gets to Egypt with these gypsies, they sell him to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard, the guard that watches over the household of the king of Egypt. What do they do with his coat? They take his coat of many colors, they shred it up, they dip it in animal blood, and they take it to Jacob. They take it to Israel. And they say, Dad, do you recognize this coat? Yes, I recognize that coat. That's Joseph's coat. Well, Dad, he was attacked by a ferocious animal, and he's dead. And it says that Israel mourned his son Joseph's death, that he would spend the rest of his life mourning. And some of you know that pain. Here's my first question for you. Is this a bad thing? Is this a bad thing or a good thing that's happened to Joseph? To be sold as a slave, to have his father think he's dead. Now, while you think about that, I want you to think about what's happened in your life. What's happened in your life that at the time, maybe even recently, seems like the worst thing that could have happened to you? Maybe it's a diagnosis. I'll tell you that C word. The minute that you hear it, it throws your life upside down. Any reasonable normal that you had before, you can no longer seem to get a piece of in those first few days, weeks. Maybe it was the virus. The virus has certainly done a number on the world and and even... Even among Christians, maybe the virus, maybe the worst thing for you is that graduation was canceled. After 15 years of high school, you you finally get to the point of being able to graduate, and then they cancel graduation. That would have been the best thing could have happened to me when I was in. I hated high school, but I know for many, for many, it was a terrible thing. Maybe you were furloughed at, at work. Chuck Sparks, one of our most faithful men here at the church, he has to do three weeks of of furlough because of the virus. Maybe it was a relationship hiccup. The friend that you thought you'd have forever, the spouse, all of a sudden you, you hit a brick wall. Now here's the first truth I want us to grab hold of and keep in mind as we think about these, as we think about these disruptions. And as we look at Joseph's normal that's interrupted, sometimes 
Sometimes our current or our past normal is toxic. Sometimes our current or our past situation, our current or past normal is toxic. But God can and will use it. In fact, let me take this one step further and let me say it this way. Sometimes God uses things, allows things to interrupt our normal. Sometimes he allows these things and he interrupts our normal and uses the interruption to get us back on track for his plan. Has God interrupted your normal for a reason? Chapter 39. Joseph's in Egypt. He is serving as a slave for Potiphar. But Potiphar sees something in Joseph. This young man has some rare administrative and management capabilities, and it doesn't take long for Potiphar to put him in charge of his entire household. Verse 6 says, Potiphar didn't concern himself with anything. Now, this isn't bad for Joseph. Although he's a slave, he's faithful, and something happens, something's noticed about him. He's elevated to this position of, of being in charge of this responsible man's entire situation. And just when Joseph thinks that this is his new normal, that this is, this is the way he's going to spend the rest of his life, and isn't that what happens when disruptions come to us? It seems like this is the way it's going to be forever, right? Chapter 39, verse 7. Potiphar's wife. Here's the second hottie that we meet, right, in this journey. Last week it was a 65-year-old. This week it's a little bit younger. Potiphar's wife. She would have likely been a beautiful woman. And you know what happens? She becomes obsessed with Joseph. Verse 6 makes it clear that Joseph is a stud muffin. He is built. Oh, I don't know what you call good-looking guys like me today, but, anyway, but he's a stud muffin. And Potiphar's wife wants him in a rated R kind of way. You know what I mean? Verse 7, she grabs him by the coat and she says, come to bed with me. And she wasn't wanting to take a nap. Now here's something I want us to consider at this point in Joseph's life. Joseph has already experienced a lot of disappointment. He's a teenager for heaven's sakes. He's got dreams. And here he's already been sold out by his brothers the gypsies that bought him didn't even keep him. They sold him out to Potiphar. Now he's a slave. What happens in your life when disappointments come? When God interrupts your story, do you ever let disappointment justify disobedience? Maybe your wife or husband doesn't make you feel as loved and appreciated as they once did. Does that justify you going to fake book and renewing old friendships from high school? Maybe you join the church, but after a couple weeks, someone else joins the church, and after that, a couple others, and you're no longer the focus. The honeymoon's over, and you become disillusioned. Maybe you like the preacher when the preacher's talking about all the things wrong with your neighbor, but all of a sudden he steps on your toes. And even though it's true, do you go home and stop giving? Do you stop attending? Here's the second truth I want us to grasp. 
my daily choices have an eternal impact. My daily choices, big and small, have an eternal impact, so make the right choice. Now, when I say eternal, all of a sudden we think about Judgment Day and the day that we're all going to stand before God, at least we should think about that, that we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account, not just for the things that we've done, but the things that we've not done. The times that we have been disobedient in disappointment. But I'm not talking about that today. What I'm talking about is that your choices and mine have ripple effects. Every choice that we make impacts people. And as we will soon see, even an entire country. You don't think your choices impact your country? You better believe they do. Look around you. If being sold out by his brothers, becoming a slave in a foreign land wasn't enough, what happens next just would push anybody over the edge. Joseph's faithful to God in the midst of disappointment. Verse 9, he says to Mrs. Potiphar, how can I do such a thing and sin against God? Now, I said last night, and I'll say it again this morning. Men, if you were a slave, if you'd been sold out by your family, been raised the way Joseph was raised, hated the way he was hated, and a beautiful woman came up to you and nobody knew about it, would you say those same words? Or would you say, as long as it's a secret? (laughs) Joseph said, how can I do such a thing and sin against God? He makes the right choice. He doesn't go to bed with Mrs. Potiphar. They don't take a nap together, right? Not just the first time, but the second time. She comes at him again. And this time, in verse 14 and 15, she grabs him by the coat and she pulls him in for a kiss. And what's he do? He literally runs out of his coat and leaves it right there in her hands. He does the right thing, but what does she do? She cries rape. This man, this slave has come into my bedroom and has attacked me, she claimed. And what happens to Joseph? Verse 20 says that he's thrown into prison where he spends the next 10 years wrongly accused. And I want you to understand this isn't federal prison where you've got satellite TV. This is the dungeon. This is a pit where he is chained and has nothing done nothing to deserve this. Now, throughout this journey that we're on, as we look back, as David said, at the past, as we look at these people, this nation that God is laying down this new normal for, we're going to see many examples of people who make really bad decisions, just like we make today. Bad decisions that lead to heartache and consequences. Remember Abram's and Sarah's bad decision last week when they brought Hagar into their marriage. But that's not always the case. Joseph did nothing to deserve this. He did nothing to bring this about. It wasn't his sin. It wasn't his disobedience. It wasn't his rebellion. It wasn't his unfaithfulness. But he experiences a lot of disappointment in his journey. And that begs the question, 13 years, a pit, a slavery, a terrible family, wrongly accused now, Dudgeon. You know what the question is? Where's God? Right? Isn't that what we say? Where are you, God? Look in chapter 39, verse 2. 
when Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's household, what's verse 2 say? Who was with Joseph? Y'all aren't reading. The Lord. The Lord was with Joseph. Verse 23, Joseph's now in prison. Who was with Joseph? Was he alone? No. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. It doesn't seem like it, but he's there. And my friends, he is there for you. When your dream, when your vision, when your normal gets turned upside down, guess who's with you? God is with you. The prophet said, when you pass through the waters, God will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Notice it says, when you pass, when you walk. It's not a matter of if you do. It's a matter of when you will. And you'll have a choice, just as Joseph had a choice. In every situation, as the rug was being pulled out from under him, he would stay faithful to God. He would stay faithful to God and join him in what he was doing through Joseph's circumstances. He never went rogue. What about you? What about me? As we continue to read, the prison warden sees in Joseph what Potiphar saw. And in verse 22, he puts Joseph now in charge. Joseph's always getting elevated to being in charge. He gets put in charge of all those being held in the prison He was made responsible for all that went on in the prison there. Joseph serves well all the way through chapter 40 when he even sits down and listens to the dreams of the prisoners, two in particular. And God gives him the ability to interpret that dream. Remember those dreams that we circled at the beginning? Remember your dreams? These men have dreams, and Joseph is right there with the help of God to explain them. And we say that's interesting, but so what? Every detail in your life matters. Genesis chapter 41, Pharaoh wakes up one morning and guess what? He too has had a dream, even Pharaoh's dream. Pharaoh has this dream and he has the wisest men around him, right? He has all these political figures around him. All of them have the answers. He's got these think tanks, right? He can throw out things to them. They bring it back. They couldn't help him at all. Sound familiar? He goes to them, and his cupbearer, the guy, the guy who gets to take a sip of the wine before the Pharaoh does, and if the cupbearer survives it, then Pharaoh, that's the cupbearer. By the way, did you know, you remember back when you were a kid and you wanted to get rid of the cat, and you started to just put out a little bowl of antifreeze? You know, and, and after a few weeks of antifreeze, the, the cat was gone. Well, I found out something. Antifreeze causes gallstones. Now, think about that. Yeah. Sarah's been putting antifreeze in my drink. Anyway. <laughs> so that's the cupbearer. And the cupbearer just happens. He just happens to have been one of those prisoners that Joseph had interpreted the dream for. Just a circumstance, just a coincidence, we would say, right? No. No, so what's Pharaoh do? Pharaoh, Pharaoh sends for Joseph in verse 14. And you've got to picture this. Here's the most powerful man in the world sitting here telling this prisoner, this slave, this sold-out man his dream. 
friends, you are faithful long enough in life, the same thing will happen to you. You will find yourself in the strangest places at the strangest times. In verse 16, God gives Joseph the interpretation of this dream. There's a famine coming, right? There's a famine coming. It's going to last seven years. Joseph makes it clear to Pharaoh that this dream and its interpretation is from God and that Pharaoh needs to act. And Pharaoh, guess what? Believes this prisoner. In verse 41, or chapter 41, verse 38, Pharaoh says, Can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God? Now, Pharaoh's a pagan. And yet he acknowledges God here. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one as discerning and as wise as you. Get this. You'll be in charge of my palace. He's like saying, you're going to be the vice president of Egypt. All my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne, as as long as I'm alive, you're going to be second I'll be greater than you. The only one, Joseph, a slave. Then prisoner, now the deputy Pharaoh, the vice president of Egypt, the second most powerful man in the world. How does that happen? It happens because God has a plan. God always has a plan. No matter the disruption, no matter the disappointments, no matter the broken pieces, God always has a plan. Think about it. God needs one of his people in a position of power and authority. How does he do it? He chooses the ex-con. He chooses the hated brother, the former slave. And you know what, young folks? Joseph's only 30 years old when it happens. Now I want you to get this, and I want you to let it sink in all the way. And I want you to not just think about Joseph here, but I want you to put yourself in your situation, and your disruptions in your life. And I want you to think if this could just be possible for you. Think about this. If you look back at all that happened to Joseph, you realize there wasn't a faster way for Joseph to be in the position that God wanted him to be in than to have been sold out by his brothers, not once but twice. To have been wrongly accused. To be imprisoned even for 10 years for a crime that he didn't commit. Now hear me. The same is true in your life and mine. God's ways, God's plans are always better than our own. Always. We may not like his plan at first, I sure don't like the disappointments. I sure don't like the disruptions. There hasn't been a disruption that I enjoyed at the moment. But God's plans and his ways are always better than my own. And friends, please remember, this is what faith is. Faith is trusting God's ways, his promises, believing him, being obedient to him, even when things don't make sense, even when we can't really see how and why at the time. Remember I said to keep three things in mind last week when we were together. 
throughout this entire series because they would keep coming back over and over again. And the first is this. Obedience to God brings the answers that we seek. When you rush ahead of God, the answer gets delayed and delayed and delayed. When you're disobedient, quit asking until you're ready to be obedient again. Obedience to God brings the answers that we seek. Second, there is nothing, not just often, but there is nothing about current situations that give us the faith to act. Do you think Joseph had a reason when he was thrown in that pit to think, oh God, this is going to be a great thing. How are you going to use this? Third, the answer to every question is God will provide. He provides the means, the way, everything we need to succeed. God provided for Joseph in every one of those disappointments. Our responsibility is the responsibility that Joseph had, and that is to stay the course, to stay the course, to be faithful, to do our best in the situation. God positions, he uses Joseph to put together this plan. It saves millions of people from severe famine. God's up to something in Joseph's life that has something to do with a plan that's much bigger than Joseph. Remember, this new normal that God is leading us on today, just like he was leading Joseph, yes, there's a lot of it that has to do with you and I today, but it's bigger than us. Remember, it's bigger than us. Why is it bigger than us? What's God doing here through Joseph? He's saving who? He's saving a nation. He's saving a line through which Jesus Christ would come, Judah. This new normal that God is leading us on is for you and me. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. Genesis 42. Can you believe we're going to cover 13 chapters today? And we're going to be out early. Genesis 42, verse 8. This famine... This famine that threatens the entire world, not just Egypt, but the entire world, it's so severe that Joseph's family, remember the 10 older brothers, remember the dad that's brokenhearted, they have to come to Egypt in order to get the food that they need. And guess who they have to see? Who's in charge? Joseph, the vice president. And so in chapter 42, verse 8, his brothers, the same brothers who now 22 years ago threw their brother in a pit and sold him as a slave, they are brought before Joseph, the deputy Pharaoh. They do not know it's him. And you know what they do? They bow down. Remember the dream? 22 years. They bow down. Genesis 45, verses 1 through 5. Joseph is there with them. It says he could no longer control himself before his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence except for the brothers. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. Now me, I would have been so loud, I would have been yelling at my brothers. Look what you've done. But he weeps. 
Pharaoh's household even heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, Boo, <laughs> no. I'm Joseph. Remember me? And it says that they were so disturbed, they couldn't even say anything. Come close to me, he said. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Here's what he's saying. Brothers, I'm just figuring it out for myself. <laughs> but this was all part of God's plan. Yes, you made some really bad choices. You guys were idiots. You caused a lot of hurt. You hurt me and you hurt dad. But I've forgiven you. And more importantly, I can see how God has used what you did to accomplish something big in this plan. That's all that matters to me. Chapter 50, verse 20, he summarized it in these infamous words. You boys intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See it there in verse 20? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, right? God can take everything, even those things intended for evil, and he can use those disruptions for his perfect plan, the new normal that he has for us. The brothers didn't know it at the time. Joseph didn't know it in prison or as a slave. God certainly didn't cause the brothers to sell their brother into slavery. And you need to understand that. God did not cause them to do that. God did not manipulate them. Evil manipulated them. Being self-focused being jealous manipulated them. God did not. God did not cause Potiphar's wife to lust after Joseph and then lie about it. He did not cause that. But here's what God does do. He takes all of those bad decisions and he takes Joseph's faithfulness. He takes all those broken pieces, all of that disappointment. And he says, I'll work with that. I'll work in that. Remember, God uses all things. God is at work in all things for what? For the good of those who love him and are called according to his what? His good and perfect purpose, his plan. He takes all those pieces and he accomplishes his purpose and it's for Joseph's good, it's for the good of the nation that God is building, and it's for your good and my good. God has a plan. And I'm not sure I like it sometimes. But I sure don't want to miss out on it. Right? You don't want to miss out on it. God's plan will be accomplished with or without you. You need to understand that. God will accomplish. It's hard for us preachers to imagine this sometimes. But I could have drowned in that dunk booth last night. And the church would have gone on just fine. In fact, it came really close. They were awful out there. Robert said, everything's good till you kill the preacher. And it came close last night. God's plan will be accomplished with or without me, but here's what I want you to get. And we've got to get this as a people. We want it to be with us. We want it to be with us. We don't want to miss out on that opportunity. You see, just as God had a plan for Joseph's life, friends, he has a plan for you and me. 
the circumstances of these last three months, eventually they'll be sorted out and eventually we'll, we'll know. God has a plan. There's no disruption that will go without being used by him. And just as he took the broken pieces of Joseph's life and put them together for an amazing finish, God desires to do the same with you and me through Jesus Christ. If you've not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ in baptism, allowing him to redeem your relationship that God desires to have with you, just like Shelley, today's your opportunity to, to allow the disruption that's come to be used for good, to get you back on track to align yourself with him in Christian baptism. If you're here as an immersed believer but haven't made this your church home, you need to take that next step. You need to stand up here with me and these people and say, I believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I've accepted him as Savior, and, and you know what? He's Lord of my life too, just like he is yours. And let's encourage each other, and let's build each other up and let's change this nation that we're living in. So what interruptions has God allowed to your normal? I can think of several. Are you willing to say yes to his bigger plan? If you are, then come. Come as we stand and as we sing this amazing song about how God will take all of those pieces of your life and put them together in an amazing way the new normal that he made you for. Let's stand and let's respond together.